Welcome to The Gaggle, an AZ Central podcast where we chat with reporters, experts, and special guests to keep you fully informed on the state's political news. I'm your host, Yvonne Winget Sanchez. I cover national politics for the Arizona Republic. And I'm Ron Hansen, also a national reporter for the Republic. In today's episode, we're talking about Governor Doug Ducey's 2020 State of the State. That's the annual event where the governor sort of lays out what he would like on his legislative wish list. It's also sort of setting the tenor for the state's political season uh, at the start of the new year. It's also a chance for the legislature to sort of begin to show their priorities as well and take stock of where the state's fiscal condition might be as we begin a new session. It's important for a couple of reasons. It does kick off the year's legislative cycle, but it gives the governor a chance to talk a lot about what he thinks his accomplishments are and for him to really lay down a marker and give the state a sense of which directions he'll be going. And today we'll be diving into what we think his past State of the State addresses might tell us about the future one. Here to talk with us today is Andrew Oxford. He covers the state legislature for the Republic. And Maria Poletta. She covers Governor Ducey and his administration. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So, guys, before we get into each issue that we think the governor might talk a little bit about in the state of the state, I'm curious, what is the overarching theme of his address going to be this year? That's an interesting question. Some of his earlier addresses have definitely had themes or through lines. And turning to our state's checkbook, we start with the number one billion. 2015, when he first took office, it was really about tightening the belt, uh, given the budget crisis at the time. Instead of demanding more revenue from the people, I suggest we demand more fiscal responsibility from our government. 2017, on the heels of Education Funding Initiative Prop 123, doubled down on K through 12. We saw incredible success last year, working together in a bipartisan spirit, putting politics aside, settling a lawsuit, stepping out of a state of constant crisis without tricks or gimmicks, and directing billions of additional dollars into K-12 education that have gone to reward many of our dedicated teachers. But I'm thinking that this year, uh, similar to last year, the governor will be sort of doing his greatest hits of political wins of 2019. Right now, state's great in terms of revenue and cash, and there's not really a specific scandal to tackle like the sexual harassment issues he addressed in 2018. He may have a theme to his speech, but you don't think that there's any specific scandal or disgraced episode that he might have to handle or uh, kind of lay down his um, thoughts on in this speech. Right. Like last year, you heard him address legislative immunity after uh, former lawmaker Paul Mosley was caught speeding. Uh, that was m met with mixed reactions from the crowd there. But there's nothing like that where he needs to provide an immediate response to a scandal, I'd say. So it sounds almost like he gets to choose a theme for once. Um, what are the successes that we might hear about from him? 
Well, in terms of his 2019 wins, I'd look for him to mention definitely pushing that drought plan through the legislature that made a lot of headlines early in the year, putting half a billion dollars into the state's rainy day fund so that we're better prepared for the next economic downturn, even though things are okay right now. Again, with those teacher raises, he also gave public safety, correctional officer, DPS, so forth, the um, gave those employees raises last year. Also up the number of school resource officers and counselors at schools. And of course, his infamous uh, occupational licensing uh, law that he signed. For a bill the governor signed, making Arizona the first state in the nation to automatically grant occupational licenses to anyone who moves here who has an unblemished license from another state. He's got a lot of praise for that, both in the state and nationally. I'd also expect him to mention, especially given, given everything that's happening nationally the improved relationship between Arizona and Mexico. He was a really big proponent of the USMCA, which is that new North American trade agreement last year, so I'd expect him to highlight the, the U.S.-Mexico relationship again. And we really want to urge our citizens and uh, members of Congress to ratify the USMCA. This trade agreement will mean so much to Arizona, Sonora, the United States. In terms of specific policies, we likely won't have a ton of details in terms of fact and figures until the governor releases his executive budget shortly after the state of the state. But I wouldn't be surprised if he introduced at least some of those building on those successes. You can also count on him to stress conservative spending once again. I don't think you're going to see another, you know, half a billion dollars going into the rainy day fund, but he has said publicly that he would like to put even more money into that state savings account. Okay, so that's what the governor wants. Obviously, it's not just his call. So, Andrew, how might the legislature respond to the governor's wish list? Well, first, they're going to come up with some goals of their own. Legislative leaders are going to put forward a separate budget. This isn't unheard of, but it's a signal that top lawmakers don't want to just let the governor's office steer the budget. The last forecast was that there could be a surplus of nearly $700 million. A lot of that's one-time spending. That's you know money they can only count on this budget year, not necessarily continuing into the future. And so it'll be worth watching the extent to which these budgets differ. The governor may want to squirrel more money away in savings, for example, while lawmakers faced, I think, long list of asks back home. And we are heading into an election year. And that, I think, is a really important dynamic that makes the session a little bit uh, different than more recent ones. Uh, there's going to be a sense of urgency for lawmakers to get out. They all want a quick season, expect that budget to move um, fast and probably with debate that happens in the middle of the night. Um, there's talk of getting it done during crossover week, which happens in February, and there will not be uh, probably a protracted debate over what's going to be in and what's going to be out. So what might we expect to see as priorities in that budget discussion? Education, something else? I would definitely expect the governor to revisit education funding. He has tried to brand himself as the education governor, especially after those teacher walkouts that we saw in 2018. Spend a little, save a little. That is what Governor Doug Ducey is proposing. It's an $11.4 billion spending plan. Much of the new spending is for schools and universities. You hear him over and over say that the state's put $2.7 billion plus into K-12 under his leadership, which is 
not necessarily inaccurate, but kind of misleading because that refers to cumulative investment. We're still behind where we were in terms of annual funding levels uh, for K-12 versus where we were at as a state before the recession. So he's still sort of under pressure to increase funding there. So definitely expect him to talk about education. Um, that also extends past K-12. He's really planted a flag on CTE or career and technical education. He loves to talk about his memories of shop class uh, in high school. Our education leaders are creating the shop classes of the 21st century. It's called career and technical education, C-T-E. And he really wants to expand on that. Um, he put $20 million into one of those programs last year, so I wouldn't be surprised if we saw more um, for, for trade and those types of educational programs. Yeah, and I would caution a little bit against expecting a really smooth budget process because as we saw in 2019 you know that was a session that dragged to the end of May as there were lawmakers who you know withheld their votes on the budget to make a stand over particular bills that they wanted you still have these really close margins in the house where there's i think a possibility again for lawmakers who want to assert themselves to kind of make that stand and use the budget as that you know, as that bit of leverage. And so I still think there's an opportunity for that. What will be the issue that ends up you know, stalling the budget again this year if that happens? I, I don't know. I think it's a little early to tell, right? But there's still, I think, uh, the possibility that this is a, a, a longer session like the one we saw in 2019. When there's money, there's fights. Exactly. Exactly. I'm, I'm also curious about what will happen with the correction system. A lot of um, the news was dominated last year by scandals in our corrections uh, facilities. We're starting with a developing story tonight. Inmates setting fires inside the Lewis prison. We have new video tonight showing the growing flames as correctional officers look on. This is just the latest troubling video coming from the same state prison where cell doors didn't lock, allowing inmates to assault officers. Team Charles Michael Doudna is live for us up in the Lewis prison. Broken locks on cell doors contributed to at least one inmate death and several other attacks. Um, we've had people inside and outside the system asking for a solution. State threw a little bit of money at it, but definitely nowhere near what's actually required required to fix broken locks, which is kind of a central part of having um, safe prisons. So we'll see what happens with that. The governor has, you know, put he he commissioned an investigation on how to fix it, but has stopped short of saying, I'll definitely put the money toward fixing it, whereas you have Democrats really clamoring for that. Okay, so we've heard a lot of talk over the years, and, and especially in recent months, about another issue, uh, water. The Republic reported in December about a lot of the problems, especially in rural Arizona. Um, tell us any thoughts on what, if anything, may come out regarding the state's water future. Right. So like I said earlier, I would definitely expect him to mention um, that drought contingency plan, which sounds very jargony. What that means is basically an effort to prevent Lake Mead from reaching really low levels and to fairly or close to fairly distribute the impacts of the water shortage that we're facing as a region. He has a chance in this state of the state to take water policy a step further and address that groundwater issue you said or you mentioned. Um, rural Arizonans are really asking for a fix because we have uh, investment funds, um, mega farms coming in and pumping unlimited groundwater essentially. 
and to be clear, you know, after the Republic identified the shortage of water in rural Arizona in particular, the governor really hadn't responded. He hasn't said much about it. So it seems like anything that the governor says on this issue now will be sort of breaking new ground on that. Is that is that correct? Generally, yes. When we've talked to him about this, he's said Arizona water should stay in Arizona. But then that kind of contradicts with with his overall sort of themes of reducing regulation and his catchphrase of Arizona is open for business. So because you can't really have both in this situation, as we saw with Ian and Rob's reporting, if he brings up the importance of the state's water supply as part of this address, people should be asking or wondering, is it important enough to actually place some restrictions? on some of these outside companies gobbling up our groundwater. Just very quickly, what other um, issues might we hear him talk about? We could hear him talk about uh, public safety employee raises. I know I mentioned those earlier corrections officers, DPS, were the biggest winners there. But since those raises were announced, we've seen, just like with public school teachers, that salaries are still falling short because they were low to begin with. Um, Corrections officers still leaving, and our prisons are, are dangerously understaffed, even the former director has said. Another controversy was the uh, sexual assault at the Hacienda Healthcare Facility. Our other big story tonight, the man accused of raping and impregnating a severely disabled woman at Hacienda Healthcare has surrendered his... That's something he recently commissioned a, a task force on to get some recommendations. I would expect him to touch on infrastructure at some level. We saw last year he had sort of the pet project of the I-17 expansion that he got a lot of praise for. This year, he has a chance to talk about or address building a bridge on Tonto Creek where flooding swept those three children away in late November. Residents there have been asking and asking for a bridge. He said that that's something he'll consider, but has has stopped short of committing to that. I'm also curious whether he'll resurrect his school safety plan. If at first you don't succeed, try again. Today, in his 2019 State of the State address to the legislature, Governor Doug Ducey again pushed for his safe Arizona schools plan. Republicans killed that bill last year. He has tried to get that through and predictably gotten criticism from both Republicans and Democrats. Republicans think it goes too far. Democrats don't think it goes far enough. So, Andrew, on that note uh, in particular, is there any reason to think that the legislature will have any different view of that issue this year? Despite everything that happened in 2019, despite all the talk, I think, of, you know, uh, Uh, the mass shooting that we saw in El Paso, Democrats calling for a special session on guns. I I don't expect this session to yield any big breakthrough, but I think it'll be interesting to watch how everybody plays it. You know, does Ducey talk about it more going into this session? He hasn't had a whole lot of success with it. At this point, it seems like an open question whether he's serious about passing some sort of red flag legislation or if this is just kind of, you know, a way of saying he tried to do something about it, which you know might give him a little bit of political cover. It'll be interesting to watch how the Democrats play it too. I mean, some Democratic lawmakers uh, are really going to want to keep this issue alive. And if they keep hitting on it, knowing that Republicans are unlikely to do anything, that might signal that they see this as a winning issue for them in legislative districts where they really need one later this year. So if you hear Democrats talking about it a lot, I think it's a good signal that they want to campaign on guns. So moving on, once the state of the state is all said and done, the talk turns to the legislative chambers. Um, What is he going to do this session strategically to try to work these um, priorities through through the chambers? 
Well, I mean, you got to recognize what a tricky landscape this is. This could be Ducey's last you know, legislative session with a Republican majority in both chambers. The GOP holds 31 seats in the House. Democrats have got 29. Your Democrats are aiming to win control of that chamber later this year. The margin in the Senate is a little wider at 17 to 13, but there are some moderate Republicans in there who are sort of wild cards on some issues. So all this means there's very little room for error in counting those votes. And I think Ducey will be served particularly well by nurturing relationships with those moderate Republicans who, you know, can be decisive in the Senate, right? Uh, I, I think that's that's going to be key as well as simply seizing this last opportunity that he might have. Of course, we don't know what's going to happen, but you know, not letting this go to waste that this could be the last time you know, he's got a, a, a Republican majority in front of him while he's in office. So let's get to the pressure points on all this. Are there any priorities that you think that uh, either party in the legislature has that maybe is not on the governor's list? And how, if at all, will that sort of interact with the uh, budget making process? Yeah, I mean, even in the governor's own party, look at you know, Senator Heather Carter. She's proposing to you know, regulate e-cigarettes like tobacco products and raise the smoking age to 21. And this follows mounting concerns about e-cigarette use by minors. I think there's interest in this on both sides of the aisle. I think Carter knows that this is an issue that you know, has people interested. That's one that that's, you know, fairly popular with people that she wants to win over. But I don't think the governor's keen on jumping into that debate. Uh, some Republican lawmakers too, like you know, John Kavanaugh, want to revisit this, revisit the state's law that bars local governments from regulating short-term vacation rentals. The vote was nearly unanimous back in 2016. The Arizona legislature passing a law prohibiting cities and municipalities from banning the listing and use of short-term rentals like Airbnb. And as vacation rentals have proliferated, the state law has proven very unpopular in communities like Sedona and Flagstaff. Those are in a swing legislative district. It was hailed as a win-win for everybody, providing an enormous economic benefit to communities looking to cash in on tourism. That is not what happened. And now there's a move to repeal that law. I, I don't think the governor is going to want to you know, walk back the law that he signed. But if there's a compromise to be had, it would likely give Republicans some relief in a very competitive legislative district. And, and you know, there's another proposal to you know, loosen the state's vaccination requirements for school students uh, by John Fillmore. This grabbed some headlines, something similar to it last year. It didn't go anywhere. Ducey isn't on board. Our big story tonight, Governor Doug Ducey threatening a veto towards any bill meant to expand child vaccine exemptions. Right now, members of his own party are pushing multiple bills that critics say would do just that. But you look for it to suck up more oxygen. Look for this to get some airtime. And I, I think you'll watch people squirm about it kind of perhaps being a distraction from what the governor is going to want to do and what the what the party leaders are going to want to do in trying to make this a quick session. We've talked with you in prior episodes about election funding and election security issues. Do you have any sense if the legislature will bring it up or will it be up to Secretary of State Katie Hobbs to make her case? Well, yeah, the Secretary of State's asking for a big boost to her budget. Some of this is for your just basic election administration. Some of it's for things like cybersecurity improvements. Uh, and that all sounds good and well, right? But this is an election year, right? There's already a sort of war of inches over election policy. You see Republicans and Democrats tussling over 
really the fine details of how the state runs elections, even which party gets its candidates listed first on the ballot, right? So funding for the election, it's going to turn into another one of these political footballs. It's going to you know, become something that I think we see you know, the Secretary of State really probably having to fight over. Okay, so speaking of fights, uh, 2020 has been a fight that we could all see on the horizon for a long time. Um, given the calendar that we're now operating under, um, how is that going to affect this session, if at all? Well, yeah, I think everyone's going to want to get out of the Capitol as soon as possible, <laughs> you know, get back to fundraising, campaigning. Uh, but again, like I said, 2019, we saw the session drag on because we saw people really asserting themselves, wanting to you know get their favored bills across the line. So I think that's going to be the key question is how much can legislative leaders keep everybody in line and moving towards the end of the session rather than allowing you know people to kind of run off in different directions and, and really uh, try to push their issues. All right. Well, we will be watching the state of the state. We'll be following you guys on Twitter, and you can follow live coverage on AZ Central and on azledge.gov. Where can folks find you guys on Twitter? Uh, I'm at Andrew B. Oxford. And I'm at M. Paletta. That's P-O-L-L-E-T-T-A. Okay, so let's dive into some afterthoughts. Yvonne, you're certainly a veteran of many budget sessions uh, over at the ledge, I'm sure. <laughs> Sadly. <laughs> brings back so many fond memories. Okay, everyone's talking about a short session and there's no real scandal on the horizon. Do you think that's how this story ends? I don't necessarily think that that's how it ends, but it will be interesting to see how Ducey squares trying to get what he would probably describe as a robust agenda done in a very quick amount of time because lawmakers do need to get out of there. They need to campaign. They need to start raising money. This is going to be a very uh, treacherous year for both Republicans and Democrats, depending on the district that they're with. So, I mean, I don't know. Will the governor go big or will he try to keep things kind of tailored down so that they can get things done, um, you know, quicker? Uh, I think that if he brings back some of these major issues like, you know, tax cuts, if we see another version perhaps of um, vouchers, which supporters have promised to bring back and the governor has pledged to hit on in some way, shape or form, that could complicate and prolong things. Uh, so I, I, I don't know. I mean, he might also do something on the on the border. I mean, look at the border strike force. That was a major opening theme for him back in uh, 2015. Um, so I, I think it just depends, you know, how, how much money does he want to spend and how motivated is he to help them get out of there? Just a prediction. I think everyone's going to be in a fighting mood. <laughs> it's 2020. We're going to have presidential politics playing out. We're going to have presidential visits. We're going to see a state Senate race that is fierce as always. I just can't believe these guys in an election year are going to let any opportunity to fight over something trivial pass. So uh, that's just my view. Okay, Gaggle listeners, that's it for this week. Thanks for listening to our show. If you liked it, subscribe and leave a five-star rating and maybe a review too. And don't forget to share it with a friend. You can find me on Twitter at Yvonne Winget. And I'm at Ronald J. Hansen, and that's H-A-N-S-E-N. And by the way, look for a bonus episode sometime next week. We're having a sit-down interview with Governor Doug Ducey, and we'll give him a chance in his own words to give us a sense of where he's going in 2020. 
This episode was edited and produced by Taylor Seeley with oversight from Katie O'Connell. We'll see you guys next week.